Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 25, the Word of God says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. And let's pray. Lord, thanks for these Tremendous scriptures, we're grateful for the Bible, we're thankful that we have a copy and that we know what it is, and Lord, all the amazing truths it contains. I pray this evening that you'd teach us about this beautiful word and this doctrine in the Bible that teaches us how beautifully saved we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. On Sunday mornings, we've been going through the series, The Beauty of Salvation. Uh, This morning, we switched it up a little bit. I preached a different message that if you missed that, I recommend that that you go online and and grab it. Uh, But tonight, we're going to continue our series, The Beauty of Salvation. Uh, In this title, uh, The Beauty of Propitiation. The Beauty of Propitiation. In verse 25, we read, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And so propitiation is a unique word. That's not a word that you're going to hear in common language. It's not a a word you probably use this week. Uh, It is used three times in, in the King James Bible, and it has such a beautiful truth backing it up. It is part of our salvation story of how God saved us, how saved we are, uh, the process of salvation, and the beauty of salvation. A propitiation is a word that basically means the turning away of anger by offering a gift. Uh, It is a Christian word that I'll explain the Christian meeting in, in just a moment, but it was also used of pagans in pagan religions. Uh, See, pagans thought of their gods as unpredictable beings. Uh, They could be angered very easily. Uh, They were often petty, uh, playing with mankind as one would a toy, as a toddler would toys. Uh, They were petty, angry. They would punish you at the drop of a hat. They could get mad very quickly. We see this if you know anything, perhaps in high school or in college, Uh, You studied Roman and Greek gods. The ideas of these Romans and Greek gods and goddesses kind of had this idea and many other uh, pagan religions. Uh, They were liable to become angry with their worshipers for any little thing. So when disaster struck, it was often thought that their little G God was angry and therefore punishing the people. So the people would uh, offer a sacrifice without delay. This sacrifice they would call a propitiation. It would be a gift offered to their false deity. And if if the sacrifice was good enough, if it was acceptable, 
perhaps the deity would turn away his petty wrath and give them rain or stop the rain or give them a harvest or whatever the situation might be. Now, we know that's not how our God works, and we know there is only one God. The Lord our God is, is one Lord, and there's only one God. We know that every other false God is, is either uh, 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 just a false lie or a demonically empowered thing. But we know that that's not how our God acts and responds. But we do understand that God was angry with mankind. And he was angry with mankind over sin. God warned Adam and Eve before they ever sinned. The day that ye eat of this tree, ye shall surely die. God does not punish uh, sinners in a petty way. He, he doesn't just get mad at us one day. We don't have a moody God as some of these other things do, these other concepts. We have a faithful and a uh, uh, very stable God. And, of course, by him all things consist. Now, the doctrine of propitiation, the biblical doctrine, is different than the pagan doctrine, and it's uh, much deeper and applicable to our Lord. Propitiation means, in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the act of appeasing wrath or uh, consolating the favor of an offended person. So this could also be used back in Old English of you made someone mad, so you got them a gift. Sir, you made your wife mad. You are in the doghouse, so you stop by and get her flowers on the way home, hoping that would be enough. You give her chocolates. I know one man who was a, a preacher at an assistant pastor at a church, and, and they were kind of poor. And so one day he stopped by with one of his children, and he wanted to get his wife a, uh, something nice. So he stopped by the cemetery and found some nice flowers that had been left on a gravestone. And he said, well, they don't need this anymore. And they're done with it. And so he took these flowers home to his wife. And she's like, oh, honey, these flowers are so beautiful. And the, the child piped up and said, yeah, Mommy, we got them where the dead people live. And uh, Mommy was not happy. That was not a good offering, right? That, that did not help his situation. And he learned not to stop by the cemetery and take flowers. But in theology, it has an even deeper meaning. In theology, propitiation is the atonement or the atoning sacrifice offered to God uh, to assuage his wrath and to render uh, him gracious towards sinners. Uh, there's also a word, a propitiatory, uh, among the Jews that we'll get into a little bit that, that has a very specific meaning. So here's the thought. This idea of propitiation speaks of atonement, of a covering for sin, an offering for sin. If you know your Bibles in the Old Testament, they had a system of sacrifices. But there was one day a year in the 10th Hebrew month, uh, usually on our calendar, it's, it's the middle of September to the middle of October. And on the 10th month, uh, the 10th day of the 10th month, the high priest could take a special offering and go into the temple and into the holy place and then through that thick veil into the holy of holies where the mercy seat was and the ark of the covenant and he would sprinkle this blood on the mercy seat in the day of atonement and this atonement this covering would atone for the people's sins for one more year it would basically cover the Israelites' sins for one more year. Now remember, sin was not paid for until Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. 
So there was a repeated covering. Every year their sins would be covered. Every year their sins would be covered. And each one of those sacrifices pointed towards the great sacrifice, the Lamb of God who was to come uh, and pay for the sins of the whole world. Now, the Bible says three times that Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He's our covering. He is the sacrifice that appeased God and brought us favor. He is our atonement. And a good way to remember what atonement means in the scriptures is if you look at the word and just use two dashes, you'll see the atonement is at one moment. At one moment. Atonement is whenever God and the people are brought together again. The sin is covered. The sin is not separating them. And they are brought together again. Well, we know that Jesus Christ is our uh, uh, propitiation and that he is our final atonement uh, unto God for sins. Now, these three times in the scriptures where the Bible says Jesus is our atonement, we'll look at them. Look at verse 25 of Romans chapter 3. For God has set, uh, for whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. And so, of course, that's the blood of Jesus to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. So, you know, the process of salvation, our sin is paid for by Christ. He take, took our sin upon him, paid for it. He put our, uh, his righteousness on us. And now when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of, of Christ, not the sins that we have committed. There's two other places in the scripture that we want to look at. Uh, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Look at verse 2. And he, Jesus Christ the righteous, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's the covering. He is the atonement for our sins. Look at 1 John chapter 4. And look at verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the what? Everybody to be the what? Propitiation for our sins. So this propitiation is so important in symbolism of the Old Testament, speaking of the day of atonement, the ultimate covering for sin. Three times the Bible says Jesus Christ is our propitiation. Now I want to talk to you just for a moment about what that means. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is our propitiation? And remember we're talking about the beauty of salvation. Not just the fact of salvation. It's, it's a, a, an amazing fact that God saved us at all. But don't miss the beauty of salvation, how intricate salvation is. The different metaphors and doctrines that God uses to teach us how he saves us, how thorough our salvation is, and how beautiful our salvation is. So let me remind you of these four truths that show the beauty of this illustration of salvation. So number one, propitiation is a covering. It's a covering. God covers our sins. As we said in the Old Testament, God would cover the sins year by year, but they were not fully paid for until the Messiah completed 
the gospel plan. Look at Romans chapter 4. So propitiation is a covering. Jesus is a covering. Romans chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul quotes a psalm here saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are what? Covered. And that covering is the propitiation. Praise God that our iniquities are not simply forgiven, but they are covered. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, our sins are covered once for all. I wish we could get it through our heads that when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin. When you look in the mirror, you might see the old things you did. You might remember back to something that you did this week, and I can't believe I did that, and I can't believe this, and oh, I can't believe I did that years ago. And That's not what God sees when He looks at you. When God looks at you, your sins are covered with the cloak of righteousness. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's an amazing fact. I don't feel like you're very excited about that tonight. That's pretty good. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Salvation is so beautiful and so amazing. So the propitiation is a covering. Jesus is our covering. Number two, the propitiation speaks of appeasing wrath. Uh, A gift or offering would be given to the offended party to pacify wrath. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Romans chapter 5 and and verse... Look at verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? God's not waiting for you to get better to save you. He's, wait, he's trying to save you to make you better. You can't get to heaven by doing good works. We read that in Romans chapter 3. There's no uh, form you could do. There's no work you could do. There's no offering you could give of your own wealth or your own power uh, that is sufficient to cover your sin. But God showed us, demonstrated, commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. Verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So much more than he's comparing who we used to be. God died for us. Christ died for us when we were sinners. So now when God looks at us, he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as justified, as saved, as born again, as forgiven. Of course, we're saved from wrath now. Because his wrath has been appeased. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, they need to pay for that sin. No, Jesus was the payment for that sin. Jesus appeased the wrath of God. He is our propitiation. Isn't that a blessing? We see number three, that propitiation, it not only is a covering, it not only appeases wrath, but it restores favor. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. The propitiation speaks of restoring favor. And here we see the grace of God. God didn't just give us mercy and withhold His wrath, but now He pours upon us blessings and gifts. We could spend all night going through the Bible, picking out the blessings and the gifts of salvation. 
But the propitiation restores favor. See, a great gift, a good propitiation, could not only appease wrath, but obtain favor. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. Whereunto, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through who? Christ Jesus. So we're talking about the riches of his grace and his kindness. And remember, propitiation restores favor. Two biblical synonyms of favor, although you'll find that word in the Bible, two synonyms of that are grace and kindness. Uh, The salvation Christ brought us didn't just withhold wrath. It opened up the floodgates of God's grace. And so now we don't just have that we're missing hell. We have we get to go to heaven. We don't just have that we're no longer sinners, but now we're sons. And all of these blessings that just flood upon us. Why? Because of the sufficiency of Christ. Christ was a sufficient atonement. He was a sufficient sacrifice not only to withhold the wrath of God, to pay for the sins, but to unleash the floodgates of God's endless grace upon us. And so we have the favor of God. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He's not only our covering, and not only appeases our wrath, not only restores our favor, but I like this one. The the propitiation among the Jews spoke specifically of the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Look at Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16 speaks of the atonement, the day of atonement. The mercy seat was the lid or the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. So if you think about the furniture in the tabernacle and later in the temple, there were different pieces of furniture. You had the golden candlestick. You had the table of showbread outside. Before you came into the, the holy place, you had the laver and where the priests would wash themselves before they could do the work of God. And, of course, they were offering sacrifices. It was bloody, messy work. And then they would wash themselves and come inside. They would have the, the candlestick that was ever glowing uh, because God is the light of the world. Uh, Christ is the light of the world. They had the table of showbread, which pictured that Christ would be the bread of life. And also, I believe it pictured the, the uh, word of God that the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. And uh, the, it's interesting, the, there were 12 loaves of bread and they were arranged six loaves and six loaves. And I think it's more than coincidental that there are 66 books in your Bible. And so everywhere you look in the, the tabernacle and later in the temple, there was symbolism and powerful, deep truths that were embedded into the furniture and the decorations and the structure holding it up. And everywhere you looked, but then if you looked at the end of that room there would be a thick veil uh, of many many layers of of material and that thick veil separated the holy place with that furniture from the holiest place where the ark of god was and the ark of god was a two and a half cubit a cubit's about 18 inches or so it was the uh they would measure it by the tip of a man's finger to the tip of an uh, their elbow and it ends up being around 18 inches or so 
um, on average. And so if they wanted to measure something, they didn't have tape measures and metric systems and standards of measurement. So they would just put out their arm and, okay, it's about two, uh, two cubits. And so two and a half cubits, you figure uh, the ark was a piece of furniture, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half tall. And it was made of acacia wood and uh, it was fully lined in beautiful gold. It had rings on the corners and uh, gold covered staffs, staves that would be put through those rings. And you'd have a priest on all four corners to lift it up and carry it wherever it went. But on the top of this box, they would had a golden lid. And the lid was, of course, acacia wood, and it was covered in gold. And then they would have two cherubims on the top of that uh, lid facing each other with their wings out toward each other. And that lid is the mercy seat. This is the place to where when the Day of Atonement, the high priest would walk in, wash himself. He would actually take off his beautiful robes and put on more simple white raiment as a sign of repentance and humility. He would wash himself and he would go into the holy place where the other furniture was. And then one time a year and only the high priest would go through that veil and there was the ark of God. And he would take that blood and put it on the mercy seat and God would accept that blood as a covering, as a down payment, as an installment of the eventual full payment of sin that Jesus would provide. The mercy seat itself is a type of Christ. And don't forget, we believe all of this furniture, Hebrews tells us that God gave Moses the designs from these, for these pieces of furniture from the true temple that's in heaven. And we believe these were remakes of the eternal and earthly furniture in heaven where when Jesus got done and he died on the cross, he took his own blood and took it up to heaven and placed it on the heavenly mercy seat, and sin was atoned for once and for all. The mercy seat itself is a type of Christ. And look at Leviticus chapter 16 and verse... uh, uh, Let's see. Look at verse 11. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals off the fire from off the altar before the Lord. And outside by the laver was also the altar where, where all the, the sacrifices were burned and the, the fat was burned and their smoke would ascend up into heaven. And so we see that he would take a burning coal off of the altar and he would put it in the censer, which was a little uh, lamp, if you will, almost a little canister where they would put hot coals in there and you'd see smoke and they could put incense on the top of that and the heat would uh, make the, the room smell of different smells, whatever the incense were, and it would provide some light as well. In verse 12 again, And he shall take a censer full of burning coals from off the fire, from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. So now we're in the holiest place, the Holy of Holies. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat, that it is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take the uh, of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle uh, of the blood with his finger seven times. Verse 16, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place 
because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Uh, and so it goes on and on. So blood would be sprinkled on this mercy seat. The mercy seat was a picture of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting when we talk about the word propitiation, the Hebrew word that the word the Hebrews would use for the mercy seat would be equivalent to the word propitiatory. They would talk about the propitiatory. This was the place where the propitiation would be made. This was the place where the covering would be made. And of course, it spoke of our Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I just want to remind you how beautifully you're saved. Uh, how thorough God is in saving us. When you look at the Old Testament, I know it's confusing. You see all the sacrifices and the furniture and, and all of their system of, of religion. Every piece was important and symbolic and foreshadowed a wonderful truth about the things of God that's revealed in the New Testament. And Christ, of every animal that was ever slain, they were all just symbols and shadows of the Lord Jesus who was the final sacrifice. And Hebrews tells us that Christ did what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. He purchased our salvation once and for all. Can you see the beauty of your salvation in this doctrine? This doctrine of propitiation? Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice, paying the sufficient price for our sin, appeasing God's wrath, and purchasing God's eternal favor for you and I. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? Let's pray. Father, thanks for the chance to look at your word. We're grateful for the truth. We're grateful for how you've worked in our hearts, how you saved us. And as we study your word, we learn more and more about the beauty of salvation. So I pray that you'd help us never forget this different word, unique word, not one that we'll use much in our everyday talk, but one that is so precious when it comes to the doctrine of salvation. And that is that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sin. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovable. Thank you for saving us when we couldn't save ourselves. Help us to tell others about your salvation that's so free and available uh, through your sacrifice for us. And thank you so much that you are sufficient. The sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. You don't need our help to earn our salvation. You accomplished it all. You save us and you keep us saved. Thank you for it. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand. We're going to take a moment of invitation. If the Lord spoke to your heart, the altar's open. As the piano plays, you come.